is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So you can tell that this morning many of our regular musicians are away or at a worship conference because I've been allowed out of my little cubby hole with my guitar, which is nice. Um, but actually, it's been, uh, it's been fun to play and to lead, and we'll go back into worship in a bit, because that's what we're talking about this morning. But before I, I do that, and before we uh, kick into that, I just want to mention something about John and Julie. Now, there are many things I could say about John and Julie, but I shall stick to the script and my notes. <laughs> you can leave this, and uh, we'll say some good things. Um, <coughs> For, for a while, John and Julie have been travelling down to uh, Burton to support our life group there. And uh, also, along a similar time, they've been thinking about uh, moving house and uh, uh, sort of remortgaging, getting some money off their mortgage and so on. And as they've been praying about that, they've felt that actually they should uh, move to Burton and uh, support the life group in Burton from there. And so they're going to be doing that in the, in the, in the near future. The house has uh, been sold much quicker than they anticipated. And uh, so uh, probably into the new year they'll be moving down to Burton and being part of a life group from there. But just to underline, um, John still remains an elder here. John and Julie are very much part of what we're doing here in Derby and he'll remain an elder here for the foreseeable future. So uh, that doesn't change at all. So rather than driving down to Burton midweek, they'll be driving up here on a Sunday. Uh, but if you see a for sale sign outside their house or a sold one, that is why. So we pray that move goes well and is good for the group down there as well. Okay, so this morning we're looking at the subject of worship once again. And I'm going to move my clock so I can see it. Otherwise there's a distinct danger of me going on for too long. At that point you're meant to say, oh that could never happen. But you didn't. So, for a number of weeks, we've been looking at a subject. Uh, I say over the last few weeks, we've looked at it on different occasions. Um, why worship? Why worship? We have this series called Why, and we've been looking at why worship. Why do we do that? Why is it important? And I guess the summary is because why we worship? Because God is worthy. That's the summary of perhaps all our uh, previous preachers on it. I could have summed it up in those few words. I didn't, clearly, but I could have done. Why worship? Because God is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our adoration. He is God. Amen? And so we love to worship Him. And this morning isn't so much about why worship, but rather how worship. Not so much why, but more about how. What should, what should our worship look like? When we gather, what do we do? If you went to 20 different churches in Derby this morning... I can guarantee to you there will be 20 different versions or types or styles of worship. So you might say, well, what's the right one? What do we do? How do we do it here? Some of you have been around Jubilee for ages. Some of you are looking in. Some of you are newer to us. You might be thinking, well, what are some of the parameters? How does worship happen here in Jubilee? Well, unsurprisingly... Our guidebook, our textbook for this, is this book. It's God's Word to us. 
It's the Bible. So when we want to say, well, how do we do that? This is where we go. This is where we look. This is where we ask God to speak to us from. And so what I want to do this morning is look at what New Testament worship looks like. And I guess this will be more a practical than a theological morning. For those of you who are expecting a a great, deep, theological, in-depth study on the subject, you may be disappointed. But if you want to have some steer, an idea of what God says about how we should worship when we gather together, and then we're going to do it, that's what we're going for this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, please can you turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Kat, can you do something with my phone so that time comes back on there, please? Thank you. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll read some verses together, starting from verse 1. We'll read the first five verses, and then we'll jump ahead to verse 26, I think. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. This is Paul's instruction to the church at Corinth. He says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him, but he has utter mysteries with his spirits. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their, comf- for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified or built up. And jumping up to verse 26. Well then, shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or At the most, three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that and ask you, as we spend a few moments looking at these words together, that Lord Jesus, you would speak to us. Father, whether this is a subject we've considered many times before, or it's something that's new to us, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you be our teacher. Help us not only to understand what we've read, but Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts and help us to put it into practice. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, look, we'll come back to the first part of 1 Corinthians in a moment, but I just want to start by considering verse 26, which, if you've got your Bibles in front of you, you'll see, Paul says, what shall we say? When you come together, When you come together. Now, it might sound really obvious. 
But I don't want to be accused of, I don't know what she called, preaching to the choir. But let me just underline this. Paul expects the church to come together. He says when you come together. He doesn't say if you come together. He says when. There's an expectation of it will happen. The church will gather together. And you may think that sounds obvious, but more and more in these days, I come across Christians who say they believe in and follow Jesus, but they aren't part of and connected to a local church. Now, just to be clear, you don't become a Christian by being part of a church. I know that. But the New Testament has an expectation that if you follow following Jesus, you're going to be part of a community of believers. You're going to be stuck in. You're going to be gathered to. You're going to be added to. You're going to be part of and meeting with. You see, if the Apostle Paul was around today... I think you look at some people who would argue, well, it doesn't matter, I don't need to go to church, that's not important, I just follow Jesus on my own. He'd sort of scratch his head and not understand. Because there's no thinking like that in the New Testament. The expectation is that we would gather together. The New Testament has no thought of the independent Christian who says they have no need of the church. Now, whilst the church isn't perfect, I know that. The church... In this nation, and one other nation isn't perfect, we are not perfect. I know that. But that's not an excuse to opt out. It's not an excuse to say, you know what, I don't need that. The Bible doesn't allow us to do that, friends. You see, discipleship, becoming more like Jesus, happens in community. It happens when we're with one another. It happens when you rub up against other believers. It happens when you are offended or when you offend others, it happens when you have to resolve that offence and put it right. It happens when you live life with one another in community. That's how we become more like Jesus. So you don't grow by opting out, by walking away. You grow by resolving, by putting right, by being obedient to Scripture. You know, if I had decided to leave the church every time I got offended by something in the church or someone in the church, I don't think I would have made it through to the end of my teenage years, let alone any time after that. The writer of the Hebrews puts it like this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. That spurring one another on, that encouraging one another, that loving one another, that caring for, discipling one another, only happens in the context of meeting together. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep resolving. Keep putting rights. Don't walk away. So let's, what, let's look at what should happen then as we meet together. Well, the aim is to glorify, to worship and encounter the living God. That's what we're going for. I think it's important to state that so we know what our purpose is. It's easy to get confused about it. See, Paul lists some things that should happen when we meet together and we could 
fall into the trap of thinking that our aim, our goal, is those things happening when we meet together. You see, I don't think that's the case. The aim or the goal of our time together is not to have lots of contributions. Contributions are great. We're going to spend much of our remaining time together talking about them and going for that, to learn together. But listen, they're not the be-all and end-all of themselves. They are a vehicle to help us. Let me just underline it. It's not that they're the be-all, they're the goal in and of themselves. The goal is to glorify, to worship and encounter God. Contributions are a vehicle to help us to do that, not an end in themselves. See, I think I've grown in my understanding of this more recently. I think perhaps I used to equate a good meeting, whatever that is, with a number of contributions. Oh, we only had a couple, not so good. Oh, we had loads, great meeting. Well, that may or may not be the case, but that shouldn't be the measure of it. It shouldn't be, oh, a number of contributions equals a good or not so great meeting. It's about worshipping God and encountering Him. I'm using the word encounter deliberately because it's not just singing of songs. It's not to say, well, this is a song we've got on the screen, we'll sing that one and get through it and sing the next one. About encountering God, about allowing Him to come, about receiving His Spirit afresh. As we worship God, something happens. Something dynamic happens spiritually. It's not just singing if it's a song of some words on the screen. It's about encountering Jesus. About encountering the living God. Allowing him to change us. To speak to us. See, ultimately we worship God because he's worthy. We've looked at that over recent weeks. God is worthy of our praise. 2 Samuel 22 verse 4. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. And I'm saved from my enemies. In Revelation 5, we're told that John looks and he hears the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb. He is worthy of our praise and adoration, isn't he? Do you believe that? That's why we worship, because he is worthy. He is worthy of it. He really is. And as we worship, we encounter him. Now, the Bible teaches us that God is everywhere all the time. Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. The psalmist is saying, God, you are everywhere. And indeed, he is. Theologians call that God's omnipresence. What we're talking about in worship is God's manifest presence, his particular presence, his nearness, his closeness, his glory, if you like. In 2 Chronicles 7, we're told after Solomon had built the temple, he finished praying and fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest couldn't enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. Imagine that. Imagine God's presence so thick you couldn't get through the door. 
Like, whoa, God's in this place. You know, you just couldn't physically get in because God's presence was so thick and so near. That's God's manifest presence. Do you remember Moses? He wouldn't go anywhere without God's presence. And you could say, but Moses, don't you understand? God's everywhere. He's omnipresent. You might be there. You might be going here. He's going to travel with you. It's okay. He's everywhere. And yes, he is. But Moses was after God's manifest presence, his nearness, his glory, his felt presence. I wonder, are we as fussy as Moses? Moses said, Lord, without your presence, I I don't want to go. I'm not going. I'd rather stay here with you. Interesting, are we that fussy? Or you just think, oh, it doesn't matter. Moses was sure about it. No presence? No, I'm not going. In the Bible, when people encounter God, something happens. There's a changed life. As God encounters people, situations are radically transformed. Hearts are opened up. Freedom comes and God does stuff. You see, contributions help us with all of that. And they help us to worship the Lord, encounter Him. But they're not an end in themselves. So it's right that we desire spiritual gifts. The Bible tells us to. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts, Paul says. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Eagerly desire. What does that mean? It's like our kids at Christmas. They're eagerly desiring gifts at Christmas. You know, they can't wait. Oh, Christmas is coming. They're excited about it. They're eagerly desiring the, the, you know, the 25th of December because they know they're going to get gifts. They hope. Um, but they're eagerly looking forward to desiring it. Paul says eagerly desire spiritual gifts. But listen, more than desiring the gift, shouldn't we desire the giver? Even more than the gift he gives, we should be desiring God himself and his glory, his presence, his closeness to us, him. So I want to encourage us, as we gather together, I'm going to try and race through this quickly. Come ready to worship. Come ready. Come early. But come ready. Be prepared. Come expectant to meet with God. Do you expect to meet with Him? Is that your expectation? I think expect. I think this is a massive issue for us, actually. Expectation. Let's be expectant that God is going to meet with us. Come with expectant hearts. And if you're sitting there thinking, "Oh, but Granny, don't understand. I'm not worthy of that." And I had a bad week, and I, you don't know what I've done, and, and I haven't read my Bible. All this. Listen to me. Those of you who were with us last weekend at our In Christ Together conference on the Saturday, Jeremy and Steve spoke about this. Knowing who you are in Christ. You can come. In Christ you are accepted. In Christ you are forgiven. You are a child of God. It's not about what you have done. Anyway, it's about what he's done, isn't it? It's about what he's done. So you don't come to Jesus based on what you've done, whether you've had a good week or a bad week. It's not based on that. 
It's based on what Jesus has done, what he has done, the finished work on the cross. It is finished, Jesus cried out. It's done. I've done it. It means we can come. It means we're accepted. It means we're loved. It means we're forgiven in Christ. Once you've trusted in him, once you've given your heart to Jesus, you've allowed him to forgive you, to cleanse you. Once you're walking with him, you can come. You can. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done. So you can come with expectation because you know God's forgiven you. You come in clean. Isn't it good? And thirdly, come wanting to give. Come wanting to participate. Don't be passive. Don't be an observer. Now, I know that these chairs don't help that. They don't. Now, they're probably the most, I reckon these are the comfiest chairs in any church in the city. If not further, I think. And it's easy to sit there thinking, oh, that is good. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the music. And Maybe we should get some pews. <laughs> but listen, come wanting to participate. Come wanting to engage, to give. Now, I know that not everyone will get to bring a song or a scripture or a prophetic word or whatever, just because there are so many of us. There won't be time for that. But you could. Maybe it could be you this week. Maybe you haven't done it before. It's okay. Maybe it could be you. So, what should some of these contributions look like? Well, let me just rattle through a few of these and help us. Paul gives us some idea here in 1 Corinthians 14. A hymn or a song. That's not just from the band on the stage. That could be any of you that start a song. And listen, don't worry about the key. It doesn't matter if it's too high or too low. We'll just stop and start again. That's okay. You haven't got to get it dead right the first time. I've lost track of how many times I've been in meetings and I've started the song thinking, should we about here? And it ends up sort of somewhere up there, you have to stop and everyone laughs and you start again. That's okay. That's fine. We're family, aren't we? It doesn't matter. So hymns and songs. And listen, worship leaders, let me speak to you for a moment. Most of them aren't here. But um, <laughs> listen to the tape. Don't over-prepare. Don't just think, how are we going to get through these six songs and then that's it? No, no, no. Let's give God some space. See what he wants to do. Then we've got a, um, a word of instruction. Some translations call it a lesson. That might be a testimony. It's not just a preach. That might be a testimony. What has God done for you this week? How has he met you? How has he answered your prayers? How has he come through for you? How has he healed you? Let's have some more of those stories. I'd love to see more testimonies of what here and what God's doing. Then we've got a revelation. Paul says, a prophetic word maybe about God's character. Paul says, everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. He who prophesies edifies or builds up the church. It's good, isn't it? You want to do that? Who would like to build up the church? Who would like to edify, to strengthen, to encourage and comfort? That sounds good, doesn't it? Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to be that sort of person? You can do that as you prophesy, as you speak God's word. Prophecy is is God speaking to us or or God giving us a fresh realisation of biblical truth. And go, whoa! And it might be something you've read a thousand times, but then suddenly God just speaks to you from it. Whoa, I hadn't seen it like that before. 
Just to be clear, the prophetic cannot and will not contradict what God has already said in Scripture. Prophetic word doesn't contradict Scripture. That's the first test. Is it in line with what God has already said? And it might be something that's spoken. It might be something that's sung. You can speak a prophetic word. You can sing a prophetic word. I love prophetic songs. Maybe we'll have some in a moment. It might be that you speak it in the first person. It might be you speak it in the third person. So it might be uh, if you feel God speaking to you a prophetic word um, about God's love, for example. His love for us, his acceptance for us. It might be that you say, I just feel God wants to remind us of his love for us, his acceptance of us, his grace over us. Or it might be you, you speak it as though God was speaking to us. You might say something like, I feel God would say this to us. I want to remind you, my children, of my love for you, my grace over you, my acceptance for you. It's the same thing, just said in a different way. It, so it can be either. That's okay. But listen, bring it with humility. I've met too many people who, who, who carry around with them. There's my briefcase. It's like they sort of, you know, carry with them a case like this. And when they're about to bring something prophetic, it's like they open up their case and they get out their prophetic voice and they put their prophetic voice in and suddenly their voice changes. Thus saith the Lord. We think, what? And then they bring this prophetic word and then the voice goes back in the briefcase and they're back to normal again. I think, it's just a bit weird. It doesn't need to be like that. Just be yourself. God's made you like you are. So just be like that. Bring it with humility. I think it's good to start things like, I just feel that God wants to say this to us. I think that's a good way of starting. You know what? I think that bring, brings it with humility and openness to God. Paul says this, two or three prophets should speak and then the others should weigh carefully what is said. Now, there is some debate in scholarly circles as to who the others actually are. Are they other prophets? Are they other members of the congregation? We, we don't know. It isn't clear. But what is clear is this that weighing prophetic words, considering them is important. Not just saying, oh, that's what God says, without somehow bypassing our intellectual capacity and thinking, is that really what God says? So Paul says, you have two or three prophets, and then the others should weigh carefully what is said. It might mean you discuss it. You talk it out. You think, what's God really saying here? I've had that recently with some prophetic words that I've had. Uh, they've been brought in a meeting context and they've been recorded so we can listen to them afterwards. And then I'm sitting down with a group of people going, what do we feel about that? Was that God speaking to us? And we sort of talk it out. We have what you might call a prophetic conversation. You think, and allowing God to speak to us. And either confirming what he said, I think, oh, it's just a man, I don't think that was from God. It's right to weigh things like that. It's right to consider. It's right to think, does that fit in line with God's word already, his scripture? Does it fit in line with other things that God's saying to me? It's good to do that. It's right to do that. We need to do that. Sometimes there'll be prophetic words for individual people. 
It might be that you feel God wants to speak to an individual person about something. You're not sure who it is, but you bring it. That's okay, you can do that. It might, you might feel that God's given you a particular word for an individual. You say, well, I just want to bring something to you. You can do it like that as well. It might be you go and bring something privately to someone. I think it's good to take somebody with you if you do that, so there's some accountability there. Someone else hears it. I think that's healthy and it's right. Let me say, if you've got something that's really directional, and certainly if it was judgmental, then you shouldn't bring it publicly. I think you should come and talk to us as elders about it and say, I feel God's saying this, but can you just help me process this? We can think about what might be the best way to to bring it. We want to make sure we provide a safe environment for us to meet God together, to prophesy and to encounter him. But you see, not every person who prophesies is a prophet, in inverted commas. See, Paul says we can all prophesy, and he, he wants us to all prophesy. Now, it doesn't mean that we're all a, a prophet. There are different levels of prophetic gift. So we've had uh, a couple of times here uh, our friend Julian Adams with us. And I think we'd call him a, a, you know, a prophet in, in the right sense of the word. Very insightful, quite revelatory, directional at times. And you know, people come away going, oh, it feels like he's read my mail. <laughs> How did he know that? Because God spoke to him. And some of you would have experienced that. Most of us don't prophesy to that degree. That doesn't mean we shouldn't bother. It just means we recognise different levels of a prophetic gift. You see, we see in part and we prophesy in part. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know even as I have been fully known. An older version of the Bible puts it like this, as through a glass darkly. So the picture is out of a mirror. And a mirror in New Testament times isn't the sort of sharp image you'd get today, but it's sort of cloudy, quite dark, quite hard to see. The reflection, a bit misty really. Sometimes we prophesy like that. That's okay. We prophesy in part. We often don't see the whole thing. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't prophesy. It just means we recognise that we don't always see the whole thing. We don't always get it right. But the good news is, it's not Old Testament times anymore. Old Testament times, if a prophet spoke and got it wrong, he was stoned. Not so good news. Now, if we get it wrong, we're not stoned. It doesn't mean we don't care. Let me make it really clear. But it means we recognise that we see in part. We prophesy in part. And often what I've found is not that people get it totally wrong because we're not bad, we're not bad people. Often what happens is people add to stuff. They feel God's given them something. And they bring that and then just keep going. And often the first bit that God gave them is great and they're keeping going, oh, it's not so great. So I want to encourage you, feel God's given you something, bring it. And even if it's really short, that's okay. You haven't got to elaborate and make it longer. Just bring what God's given you. Tongues and interpretations, Paul speaks about here as well. And 
I don't think that speaking in tongues is the only sign of being baptised or filled with the Spirit. I think it's a common sign of being baptised and filled with the Spirit, but it's not the only one. And as we, have, as we meet together, <coughs> we might sing out in tongues altogether or, or speak out in that heavenly language altogether. And often that seems to stir up other gifts as we do that. Sometimes somebody speaks out or sings out in a tongue. And if that happens, we then wait and ask God that he would give someone else the interpretation of that. It's not a translation. It's not word for word. You're translating something. It's an interpretation. Prophecy is God speaking to us. Tongues are us speaking to God. Worshipping him. Declaring his goodness. It might be that God's given you the gift of tongues that you use in your personal worship time. You like run out of words. You're telling God how much you love him. He's like, I don't have any words left. You, you speak in tongues. Paul says that everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And some churches use that as an excuse not for going for spiritual gifts because they say, well, let's just not have it. And that's orderly. It's orderly. But it's not biblical. And it's God's order, not our order. Let's remember, Paul was writing to a New Testament church that was full of the Spirit and had gone totally overboard, (laughs) very often, on spiritual gifts. He could have said, Corinthians, dial it down. We'll have none of that. You just need to play it safe, okay? Put a lid on it. Less prophecy, less tongues, just, you know, cut it out. We didn't. He said, I'd rather you all prophesy. Keep going for it. Keep doing it. Just do it within some certain premises. It's where the role of the person hosting the meeting is so important. Helps us to to gather together and to guide through what God's saying to us. Submitting to one another and the person leading is helpful. Sometimes I hear the question, what about visitors? What about people who wouldn't understand spiritual gifts? I think it unusual perhaps. Some churches use that argument for not having them in their meetings. Well, again, I think it's not biblical. It doesn't mean we shouldn't explain. We should explain. We should explain and be sensitive. But let's make sure we're giving space for these things in our times together. We're worshipping a supernatural God. So we should expect some supernatural things amongst us. I want to encourage you, perhaps as the band could come back up, please. Let me encourage you this morning. Don't settle for where you're at. Ask God for more of his presence in your life. Ask him to reveal more of his glory to you. Ask him so that you might have a greater hunger for him and his presence. I feel God speaking to us about that at the moment. Sarah and I feel that God is speaking to us about having a greater hunger for the Lord. Greater hunger for his glory. His manifest presence in our lives. In our times together. We're going to worship again in a moment. Tim's going to lead us through. But just as before we do that, I, I, I feel that for some of you here, God is placing in you a greater hunger for him. Greater hunger for his presence. It's like he's stirring up in you a holy dissatisfaction with the status quo. He wants to put in you a greater hunger for him. And it might be we're going to pray for some of those people in a moment. We might do that. 
And it might be too that you love the idea of bringing some of these things that we've talked about, these gifts, but you feel actually you're not full of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you haven't been baptised in the Holy Spirit. You're not quite sure about that. But maybe this morning that God wants to meet with you. The Bible tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. A better translation really from the Greek would be go on being continually filled. Always filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just once off, not just years ago in that meeting, that was great. What about now? What about today? What about this week? Are you full of Him? Are you full of the Spirit? Go on being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's stand together, can we? Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk.